Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This podcast is powered by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Welcome, everybody, to the Caught in the Net podcast, a new, a new basketball podcast. My name's Dave Severns, and uh, my co-host, Mike Procopio. Mike, how you doing today? Sev, fantastic. What are you up to, brother? <laughs> well, you know, this is the uh, initial launch, uh, maiden voyage. I hope we don't end up like the Titanic, my friend. I've been on worse, fl- I've been on worse uh, sailing incidents, so don't worry about it. <laughs> hey, and just so our listeners know, you know, when, when Mike and I talk back and forth, sometimes we refer to each other, you know, nicknames. So if I say Sweet Chuck or Pro, that's Mike. Uh, if he says what, Mike? Sev, blah, blah, blah. There you go. If, yeah, if he says Sev, he's referring to me. But anyway, uh, you know, our, our podcast is named Caught in the Net, and you know, we went round and round about what we should call it. And, we, you know, Mike came up with the idea of caught in the net, which uh, refers to, it kind of gives homage to one of our favorite people in all of basketball uh, who wrote a book way back in the, probably what, Mike, the 70s? I'd say late 70s, early 80s, yeah. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s. And the book was called Caught in the Net. And the author... Uh, is one of our favorite people in basketball is a longtime coach named Tate's Lock. Uh, Mike, why don't, you, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of uh, your background on Tate's and then I'll give mine. God damn. Yeah, so Tate's Lock, I saw Tate's Lock first in the late 1980s. He was coaching at Indiana State at the time. This was after. So, you know, I, I watched him against Boston University You know, back probably, this is like 89, and I didn't really know him. I just knew his name. Um, and then I heard about him as far as, you know, Bobby Knight being his assistant coach when he was an Army, coach at Miami of Ohio, coach mm-hmm. at, you know, Clemson. So I first met Tate at the Nike All-American camp probably 1998 when you guys were working out college counselors. I was working out – I was working with the high school kids at Nike's prestigious All-American camp – at, at IUPUI in Indianapolis, and Tate's was running the college workouts 
you were the assistant. Um, he had another person that was one of our mentors, Herb Livesey. And man, he's like one of these man's man back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. Humphrey Bogart. Um, you know, who the fuck else? He, he's, he's just like an old school disciplinarian, like give you shit all day, hard nosed, like just like a general, like a, like a drill sergeant. And that fucker wouldn't talk to me for about five, six, seven years. <laughs> and he held grudges against me that I didn't even know he held. And he was one of the most knowledgeable basketball guys that I've ever seen in my life. He was like, um, what was that Tom Cruise movie, Sev, when he was the uh, NASCAR driver? Thunder uh, Road. Thund- Thund- Thunder Road. Yeah. yeah. So he and another like, thing, you know, for our listeners, you're going to hear a lot of movie references from, from Sweet Chuck. Yeah, he was like James Caan in that movie. Like, he was the pit <laughs> boss for fucking, you know, like, he was the pit boss for Tom Cruise. And he was right. a mentor, hard-nosed, you know, just a guy that just kept on giving you shit, kept on giving you shit, not going to be like Mr. Compliment, not going to be Mr. Touchy-Feely. One of the most knowledgeable basketball guys that have ever been around as far as how to have presence, how to command a room, how to get on a guy, but yet give him the most confidence that they could have to maximize their potential. And he was one of the three or four guys that were in my life that Mm -hmm. really taught me how to really have presence with the player, tell him the truth, motherfuck him without motherfucking him. And like, it just really try to get to the player on what you need him to do and just be honest about their approach. And he's been a lifelong friend. The guy will answer a phone call every no. two phone calls. And he's old school as old school. And I think that he, he'd be a perfect guy to name this podcast after. Right. And, you know, once you brought that, that name up to me, you know, it just clicked right away. That's, that's what we'll call it. Um, and, and going back to his book, and, and I'm like you, Sweet Chuck. I, I, had, I had read all about him growing up uh, as a young coach in the 80s. And I kind of followed his career, but never met him until that, that year in 1998. But I read the book uh, when it came out. I, and I have it somewhere. I don't know, but I got to find it. But when the book came out, I read it. And it was so interesting and so uh, refreshing because he was really the first coach that wrote about all the mistakes that he had made uh, and the things that happened to him and and. And it was kind of like almost like a, a guidebook or a lesson book for young coaches, you know, with this is what you want to avoid. Um, and, he, and he went through the whole thing at Clemson and, uh, you know, ended up at Jacksonville. But the book was just so honest. Uh, you mentioned honesty that, that it really hit home. He, you know, he just told the truth and pretty much, you know, like these, these are the mistakes that I've made. And, uh, you know, I've had to live with the consequences. But – in 1998, that's when I first met him, like you mentioned, at the Nike All-America Camp, and, and he's been such a, a close friend to both of us throughout. So, caught in the net, tribute to you, Tate's luck. Yeah, you know um, he's going to no, you know give us a load of shit when he finds out oh, that we did yeah, the fucking podcast. Well, well, first of all, he has to figure out what a podcast is. That's true, too. You know, or a cell phone or a computer. You know, you know Dave Shawblock's going to get to him. He's the only fucker that sure. will get to this guy. Yeah. Sure, and, and hopefully eventually Tates will hear about this and have a little smile, and 
But we, you well, know, when we see him in person the next time, there's not going to be any smiling. He'll he'll give us he'll give us a load. <laughs> we'll give him the ten. We'll give him the ten percent of the thirty nine cents a month. We'll make off this fucking podcast. <laughs> so he'll get exactly off this fucking thing. So yeah. So, so so if our listeners are kind of wondering who are these two guys, well, Mike and I have been friends since 1998, 1997. Can I tell them um, the story? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Tell so, them how we met. So we're at Nike camp, and again, I didn't, this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this thing. Like Nike All-American right. Camp, I worked it in, in 96, and you know it was just what you thought it was. High school kids, big-time players, probably 20 NBA players right. easily were in high school at this camp. And you know they were college. Sure. So these kids, were you coach games, they go through drills, they go through classes, and then like... Then there were these college counselors. There was like Tim Duncan and Vince Carter, but they weren't. They were just assistant coaches for the teams. They just came around. They gave him gear, and they were just sort of hanging around. I missed it in 1997 because my dad passed away. So I come back in '98, and now they added this whole college counselor workout program mm-hmm. run by Tate Swalk and Herb Livesey, another one of our mentors. And so they're doing these workouts, and I was way more interested in the college workouts than I was working the high school part of the camp. So I would go to these college workouts because, like, they would separate them. So it would be like, right. you know, kids would go to class in the morning. The college guys would work out. Then the college guys would go back and rest and do what they got to do. Then the high school kids would play. College kids would come back after lunch for a college workout. Right. So these drills, like, there were no trainers or no real individual drills back then. There was just like guys played. So all these drills you guys were doing, I was like, wow, this is really good. Well, one of my best friends in life is an agent named Frank Catapano. And right. you know, represents NBA players for years. And he represented a young kid out of Croatia named Bruno Sundov. Mm-hmm. Bruno Sundov got drafted by the Dallas Mavericks, I want to say in 98. Um, yes, in it 90- was, I believe. Yeah, yeah, in 1998, he got drafted. And then they put him at a prep school at Winchenden, the Winchenden School in Massachusetts. Well, they were going to stash him at Winchenden, let him play, and then bring him back to Dallas the next year. So I didn't know who you were from Adam. Like they were, <laughs> right. were a bunch of these coaches with you know NBA gear on, like so I assume they were NBA assistant coaches. So here you are with a Dallas Mavericks shirt on, and I'm like, hey, you know, coach, I just want to you know I just want to introduce myself, Mike Procopio. Um, a, fr- a great friend of mine, you know, Frank Catapano, who drafted a kid that you drafted. You were trying to interrupt me the whole fucking time. And, of course, <laughs> I just kept on saying it and saying it and saying it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just want to let you know whatever you need. You know, if you need information, let me know. He goes, that's all well and good, but I don't work for the Dallas Mavericks. I just wore this shirt. I work at Fresno City Junior College. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, I just went on this three-minute spiel. Right. There you are trying to be polite. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And so, the biggest mistake I made was I, I don't know why I'm wearing a Dallas Mavericks shirt. I wasn't a Mavericks fan. I didn't care about that. I don't know why I had that shirt on. Yeah. But, yeah, I was uh, I was an assistant coach at Fresno City College. Yeah. After, you know, because I had been a high school coach previous. So that's so, that's funny. So that's how we met. But give give the listeners a little bit of your background. Because you, you've had the, one of the most fascinating backgrounds yeah, uh, probably <laughs> you're, all, you're you're gonna make fun but i'm in all seriousness your I, your background is just uh fascinating to me dude i i hate this shit talking about myself i know so I, but I we have to we have to do it 
Yeah. I made a pack. Five minutes or six minutes or less, this thing will be over. So hold your breath. Go get something to eat. Don't even fucking worry about my background. But here's my background. So I've been in basketball my whole life. Like, you know, loved it, played it, sucked at it, but really enjoyed it. I was a... a, I was a manager at a Division three school called Suffolk University, where just a manager of the team, I volunteered at my high school during the same time, had no aspirations about being in basketball except wanting to be a manager. So I kept score at this summer league in my town. It was an outdoor, outdoor men's league, and there was a referee in town that was connected to this AAU coach in Boston. Now, AAU back then, there was about 5% of the teams that there are now and you right. don't really know much about it, but this team had all these All-Americans. They won national tournaments. You always heard about them, but you didn't know much about them. So all I want to do is like, all right, I'll get into coaching a little bit. The guy goes, look, he's looking for somebody to help out. Why don't you do this? So at the time, look, I was, like I said, a manager. I was an assistant coach at my high school. I was good. Well, here's this guy. His name's Leo Papil. He was very well known in Massachusetts and nationally at the high school level of winning all these national tournaments with this ragtag team of not ragtag, but these got basically no namers that end up going division one, beating everybody up. And they were just really good team beat teams with NBA players on it. Just didn't care. They were just really good. So I worked with him and I worked with him in the summer of 94. We went to all these tournaments in the spring and then they would go on their national they would go in their national, like Vegas and all these other, you know, Jacksonville, Florida, Arizona. I didn't get to go. They had guys like Chris Heron on the team. Randall Jackson was a McDonald's All-American. Wayne Turner, McDonald's ah, All-American. Florida State, Kentucky. sure. Yeah. So all those guys were, I mean, they were really good. And so Leo started teaching me how to sort of talk. He, he's sort of like Tate's in a different way. Could really talk to players. Right. Really like, like tell them the truth and get them to play hard. So I was learning there, and I worked all these camps. Like everybody told me, hey, look, you got to work camp. you got to work camp if you want to get better at coaching. So I worked 11 weeks of camp my first year, year working camp. So I worked all these camps. And then, and then I, when the BABC got back in like August, September, I went back with them. So I worked these camps, met all these people. Again, didn't think I was going to go to the NBA or anything like that. Maybe I wanted to become a high school coach at Revere High School, which is a great story at Revere High. When Rick Pitino won the national championship, Leo Papil worked for Rick when he was at Boston University in the beginning of his career. He had Rick Pitino call my AD at my school when I was going for the head head varsity job at Revere High in like 1995. And he called the AD and he said, hey, this is Rick Pitino, you know, Rick Pitino of the University of Kentucky. I want to call and talk on behalf of Mike Procopio. Well, this guy thought that it was like a prankster that used to work at the school. His name was Peter DiGiulio. So instead of going, you know, and talking to Rick Pitino, the first words out of his mouth was, fuck you, DiGiulio. And he hung up on <laughs> Rick Pitino. So Pitino called back and he goes, no, go fuck yourself, DiGiulio. I'm fucking tired of your bullshit. And he fucking hung up on him. So he called like three times. And he finally goes, no, 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 no. This is Rick Pitino. So anyways, so I worked these camps. I, I started like not knowing what I wanted to do. Well, like Nike didn't really sponsor that many teams back then, but they started to get more and more into the high school scene. So um, my guy, I, I ended up calling, I ended up calling the Nike office in California to try to work the Nike All American camp. You know, because I want, I've always read about it, seen it on Hoop Dreams and all that stuff. 
So I, I called and George Raveling answered the phone. And I knew jo- I didn't know George from anybody. And George was a you know head coach at USC, um, head coach at Iowa, right. Washington State. And he was like the, a very famous coach. So he and he took my call, and I thought he was going to blow me off and hang up on me. And I was like, Coach Raveling, I'd like to a chance to work at camp. And he goes, All right, that's great. You're with Leo. Great. I'll send you the information, and we'll get to go. So that's sort of how I got into Nike. And then like I just again, I met you, I met Herb, I met Tates. I started learning how to work guys out. Leo Papillo in 1997 gets hired by Rick Pitino as a head scout of the Boston Celtics. So then I started getting around the Celtics. I was originally supposed to be Rick Pitino's driver of all things, right? He wanted somebody to drive him around, pick him up at the airport, take him to casinos and just pick him up to take him here and there. So I was going to be his full-time driver. It ended up falling through. Shocker. But like I was around all these hey, workouts. Did you even have a driver's license, sweet Chuck? I bear. I don't know how the fuck I did. I don't know. I I, I can't believe. I, I read at a third grade level, but I ended up doing that. But I didn't. I didn't get the job. But I was always around the Celtics. I was around workouts. Watched watch Rick work guys out, and I learned a lot from him. He's probably the best head coach I've ever seen work players out. Worked out Keith Van Horn in pre-draft. Worked out David Wesley and all these guys. And I really understood how to you know. He was such a great teacher and had great presence. So I never got a job when he was around the Celtics. But during that time, I was like, you know what? I want to get in the NBA. I think this is what I want to do, but I need to get better at my craft. So worked Nike every summer, kept on working my camps, worked with Leo. And then what happened is we had all these great Division One players that would play for the team. I ended up working those guys out when they would come home in the summer. Really started getting friendships with a lot of the coaching staffs for colleges around the you know, around Massachusetts and New England. And I ended up like being the the workout guy to a lot of these college teams. I would just go into Boston College. You know, their coaches couldn't work with them in the summer, so I'd work these guys out. Blah blah blah. And I started really getting a good name for myself, working players out and learning what I did. Well, Patino leaves the Celtics. Uh, Chris Wallace was the GM, and I got a chance to know pretty well. They brought me in to do some special assignments, like work out Omar Cook when they signed him, work out Bruce Bowen, and work out all these guys. But I never was officially with the team. Well, when they they traded for Vin Baker in 2003, and before the new ownership took took uh, took you know place with the Celtics, they brought me in to live with Vin Baker to be like a positive influence on the guy. So here I am. How'd that work out? Talk about the fucking odd couple. Well, I saved the Celtics, <laughs> I saved the Celtics about $30 because they ended up buying out, you know, Vin's contract because of alcohol use. But, um, like, I, tr- you know, look, I was, I was lived in his house. Here I am. I never knew the guy, never met him, knew his name, obviously. But, like, literally just came to his house, had the great, one of the greatest lines ever. His dad was a reverend. And, like... We were all there, Chris Wallace, Leo Papel, and I come in, and we talked. He goes, Vin, this guy is going to be living with you. And he looked at his dad and he goes, Dad, I got a sweet chuck now. So I was like, what, what am I, a fucking Teddy Ruxpin? But he goes like, Dad, I got a sweet chuck now. I was like, oh, fuck. So I ended up living with Vin. They wanted me to like work in the basketball operations department and learn how to scout and evaluate talent, but they couldn't officially hire me. So they hired me to live with Vin. They paid me $300 a week to live with Vin. I wasn't on the books yet. And then I started working with them in February as a like a low-level right. scout, you know, basketball operations, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I did that. 
Danny Ainge ends up getting hired, at, you know, in May of of 2004 or 2003, should I say. He gets hired and they sort of demote Chris Wallace. He takes over the team. I think I'm getting fired. And I ended up get, striking up a really good relationship with Danny when he was there. But, you know, the scouting was good. I liked it. I learned a lot, but I really wanted to work with players. So I got lucky and worked a college camp that summer put on by Dave Hopla in Chicago. Well, I ended up through that. I ended up working out Paul um, Antoine Walker at a charity game in Chicago. So Antoine Walker was having this game, brought on all these NBA guys to play in his charity game at the United Center. So the, so we we had the camp, uh, our college camp at Hoops to Gym where Tim Grover worked. My my like for like two years, I wanted to work for Tim Grover. The guy wouldn't give me the time of day to talk, and I'm like, I got to work with Tim. I want to work with him, you know. And I had this dream of like running the basketball side and him running the you know weight side or whatever. So, anyways, we did this. Uh, we're doing this camp. We're leaving to get lunch, and Paul Pierce walks in. Well, I'm working for the Celtics. He knows me. He goes, "Hey, sweet Chuck, can I get a workout in?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna grab something to eat when I come back. Uh, I'll work you out." He goes, "Yeah, it's great. I'm gonna work out with Grover, and then we could work out." They ended up working out. With, he ended up work. I ended up working out with him, and he had a friend of his, Jason Crow. Who played at UCLA? I know Jason very well. He's a, a Inglewood kid. Yeah. So yeah. So I worked them both out. Here's Grover and Malcolm Price, who worked with Grover, watching my workout. And I'm like, this motherfucker, you know, because he wouldn't talk to me. And I'm like, oh, he's probably making fun of me. Fuck Grover, da da da. In my head, because you know I'm fucked up. So I work him out for like an hour and a half. And Grover comes up to me and he goes, hey, that was a great workout. What's your situation? I said, what do you fucking mean, my situation? He goes, your working situation. You work for the Celtics, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, well, he goes, do you want to work for me? And I'm like, yeah, I would love to. But, you know, he goes, it's only part-time. It's only in the summer. He goes, why don't you try to do a nine-month deal and then work with me for three months? So blah, blah, blah. I ended up working for him and, you know, working guys out. I was in charge of all the basketball workouts with Grover. And, you know, that ended up, you know, ended up you, you know, hiring you to come and, and, and do some work for us as well. And, you know, I ended up working out with all these guys. So... I ended up leaving the Celtics like two years later to work with Tim full time. And that ended up being working for Kobe Bryant, breaking down all Kobe's tape, you know, being Kobe's guy to talk to him about what I thought he was doing right, wrong or indifferent and scouting every opponent that he would have. He wanted me to break down all his mm-hmm. film, um, you know, break down every opponent that he'd be playing, strengths, weaknesses, intel, stats, all this. So we get this package of stuff that we would talk literally through email and text all day. And talking about every game that he was going to play, and he wanted me to break down every all his games as well. So that ended up there, and then from there, I ended up getting a job with the Boston's, um, the Dallas Mavericks as director of player development. Spent six years with Dallas, running their player development. Um, it was a great experience. Got a chance to work with a bunch of good guys, and then I, you know, in that time, I've started this company called the Hoop Consultants, where I work out. You know, I work with. You know, work with coaches and players sort of in player development, you know, consulting them as far as trying to structure programs for them, you know, be their everyday person to lean on as far as, yeah, this looks good. You might want to change this. And then I've sort of pivoted into now breaking down film for players at all levels where they would give me their game tape. I, you know, right. I take the game tape and I basically break down every possession they're in and give them a personal video film session and actually that's been going pretty well and 
I think I've talked way longer than I wanted to talk on this. So, well, yeah. So that's, well, that, my, that, that's, that's a long six minutes, sweet child. Yeah, that's about a 22 minutes. But, not, but, but like I said before, you know, your story to me is fascinating. And you even mentioned a couple of things in there that I didn't know about, uh, you know, the Antoine Walker thing and, you know, meeting, you know, meeting up with Paul and Jason Crow. That's, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, um, what's your deal, Seth? So, so, yeah. so, so now here you are with me. You know, doing a podcast every week. Here I uh, am. Well, you know, you know, real quick, I my my career is, is you know, I'm, I'm I, you know, age wise, I think I'm probably close to twenty years older than you. Yeah. Um, so my my experience is more coaching. Uh, you know, because I started right right out of college. I was a very very average, probably below average, you know, player in college. And then right at, right out of college, I got a chance at 21 years old, maybe 22, to start coaching. So the, the, the university that I went to in Northern California, uh, I, I started coaching ninth grade basketball right in that town where I went to college as I uh, finished up my degree. So I, st- I started out as a young high school coach, uh, ninth, literally ninth grade, um, three or four years at the junior varsity level, and... Then I, at about 24, I think I got my first varsity job, uh, head varsity job in the Central Valley of California. And you talk about a guy who was not prepared at all to run his own varsity program. Uh, that was me. Um, you know, but I needed a job. I needed a teaching job, you know, with benefits. I, you know, I had, uh, you know, a wife and, at the time, and, and we had a, a, a baby coming, so... You know, I needed a full-time job, and so even though I wasn't really prepared, I, I guess I did okay in the interview and was hired. Um, and but I only stayed at that school for one year, and and then I got a chance to go back to Northern California, where I had been the JV coach previously, uh, a little small town called Gridley in Northern California. So I was able to go back there and and coach and, and teach. I was a classroom teacher, like most high school coaches. And I, I spent um, six years teaching at the school, but four years as the head coach. Um, uh, and, and the reason I left head coaching at that job was to take an assistant job at the place where I had played college, Chico State University. So I spent a year there as a Division II assistant, uh, finished up my master's degree, and then got the opportunity to coach at a, at a much larger high school, an urban high school uh, here in Fresno. Uh, Edison High School, so I, I was I was lucky enough to get that job, or unlucky depending on how you look at it. Uh, you know, because that uh, a lot of stuff that goes into coaching there, but that's a whole nother podcast. So I spent I spent a few years there as the head coach, and you got fired there after I think four years of coaching, mm-hmm. um, and then that's that's kind of when I met you, and I became an assistant coach at Fresno City College. Uh, for a couple of years, and that's kind of where I met you. I th- late, late 1990s, 1997, 98, 99, 98. right around in there. 98. Yeah, yeah. I continued to, to be a high school teacher here in Fresno, but um, but it was an assistant coach at Fresno City College. After two years there, um, now you got to remember in Fresno, this was the area of Tarkanian. Uh, coach Tarkanian was, was here during that time, and I'd always kind of wanted to work for him. I always enjoyed watching his Vegas teams. Um, 
They were some of my favorite college teams ever. I'd go down and watch the Rebels practice in Vegas. I'd go to all their clinics. I'd take my high school kids to all their summer tournaments that they had. You know, Mark Workington and Gerg would run the little summer uh, weekend camps for high schools. And I would take my high school teams down there. And I'd always been really interested in him. Um, so when I got the chance to be the video guy at Fresno State uh, in 2000, I took it. Um, and this was way back, Sweet Chuck, when the video coordinators were just kind of coming around. Uh, matter of fact, when I took the job, it was all tape to tape. You know, we were, yeah. we were doing all tape. The computer stuff had just kind of begun to appear. And so we did have a computer system, but most of the stuff was done tape to tape. John Welch was the assistant that, that got me that job. Um, you know, working uh, three years with Coach Tarkanian, his last three years at Fresno State was really, really valuable to me. Chris Heron, as you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. was, was one of the guys around at that time. And, and it really got me interested into working more on the player development side instead of the coaching side. Right. Um, and because one good thing about working with Coach Tarkanian – and, you know, he, he, he wanted you to work out the guys. Right. He was really – that was important to him, player development, being able to get on the court and work with players because he always thought that, you know, if we can make our players better, that's going to make our teams better. He seemed like – Tarkanian seemed like the guy that allowed his coaches to he work. He did. He didn't really totally. micromanage, really. No, no. He, as a matter of fact, if you didn't work, you know, he would get on you. He was really one that encouraged uh, assistants to, to work with players. And at that time, there was a lot of, you know, um, player development is what we call it now. Back then, we just called it working guys out. No doubt. We just called it working with players. Yeah. You know, and John, Johnny Welch and, and, and Chris Farr and, and myself and, and Will Hooker. And, you know, we would work the guys out at, at you know, Fresno State, which is important to Coach Starkanian. So that's when I became really interested in the player development side of things. And at that point, you – and I had met and become very good friends. And you gave me the opportunity to come to Chicago in the summers to work with you and Tim. Uh, yeah. I believe my first summer out there was 2004, I believe. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember, I remember staying, uh, staying in that little, that little house on the west side of Chicago. Dude, and, I, I remember and, saying this, Seb. I, yeah. said, I said, Seb, <laughs> this thing's Disney World, man. Like, yeah. All we do is work guys yeah, out. That's great. And I, remember, and I remember that first summer, um, I was living in that little house on the west side of Chicago, probably two or three miles from Hoops to Gym. And yeah. I, got, I got a bike. Yeah. And I would ride my bike every day to Hoops to Gym. And, the Exciter. And we, yeah, right. And you and I would spend the whole day in the gym with all Tim's players. And it was like, like you said, it was Disneyland. The, the hard part was being away from my family for the summers because, you know, my kids were all on vacation. Now, um, yeah. The first summer, would, you just stayed with me for a week, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was just like a few, like a week. Yeah. And then I was hooked. Yeah. And the next summer, I stayed out, you know, the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think I was there four years. Um, and it was a great experience. And that that's what enabled me to, to gain the confidence and the experience in working with NBA players, mm-hmm. uh, which allowed me to get, to get the job as the, the director of player development for the Chicago Bulls uh, and um, – the summer of 2008 when Vinny Del Negro got the job. And I didn't know Vinny, but, you know, he brought me in and, you know, things just worked out for me to stay with the Bulls. And then after Vinny gets fired with the Bulls after two years, he takes the job with the Clippers. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I come with him back to California as the director of player development and um, moved out to California, which was great because now I'm closer to my family and the whole thing. And, mm-hmm. and at this time, I was totally hooked on you know, player development, and I really, really loved it. And so spent three years with the Clippers uh, with Vinny in that role. Then Vinny gets fired, and Doc came uh, to the Clippers, and he kept me on for three years, um, which I'm very grateful to Doc. He didn't know me. He didn't huh. know me from Adam. I remember you know? I texted him. I, I texted mean, you, him. You tra- helped me with that one, tra- yeah. I mean, I'm sure many people did, but I remember texting him the day of the draft in 2013 about it. And right. Yeah, it was funny. It was funny. Yeah, and so I was, you know, very fortunate to be able to stay with Doc for those three years. Um, and then from, from there, I stayed with the Clippers for the last five years. I've been uh, as a pro personnel scout. Uh, you know, scouting NBA guys and for the Clippers. And so that's that's kind of takes us up to now. And, uh, you know, here we are hosting a podcast like everybody else in the world, sweet Chuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So, you know, th- the direction that you and I want to take this podcast is a little a little different maybe than, than most basketball podcasts because you and I like to talk about working with players Player development, obviously coaching, because a lot of player development is coaching and teaching. But, you know, we, right. we don't get deep in the weeds and the X's and O's and all that stuff. We're going to talk about working with players. Um, you know, we'll get into a lot of things that we've done throughout our career and experiences that we've had. But mainly, it's, you know, working with guys, teaching, um, and, and that's kind of the direction that we'd like to take this. Yeah, for sure. I think that I think it'll be a great resource for coaches because we've sort of been through almost every detail in coaching. We've both been fired. We've both been hired in the NBA. We both right. worked with high school guys. We both worked college guys. We both worked camp. We've been in. We've had every type of discussion that you could have with the player. Um, <laughs> you know, dealing with people, yes. the pluses, the minuses, the hard times. Yeah, the game's changing, and there's a lot of direction the game's going that we haven't experienced yet, but we've still been through those experiences of sort of building up to what we try to do, and I think it would be great. I think it would be good, you know, sharing the stories that we have and then sharing, you know, talk, just giving some background for coaches that are up. Like if you're, if you're a high school coach, if you're a video coordinator, if you're, you know, you're the fifth assistant on a college staff, like and you're trying to get up and move up to your, your level, this might be a great resource for you, you know? There's no doubt, sweet Chuck, because I I think between the two of us, we've literally been in, in not only every level, but almost every position at every level. Uh-huh. Assistant coach, video guy, scout, uh, director of player development. We've, the only, you know, high school head coach. Roommate so with an we, NBA player, yeah, sure. yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Vin Baker's driver, Vin yeah. Baker's driver, yeah. Uh, so and and just so our listeners know, from time to time we'll have some guests on. Uh, you know, we'll try to get some some player development people in the league and that are not in the league, people that our listeners may have never heard of, who we think are really good. Um, you know, we'll try to get some players and some coaches on and and uh, thing like that uh, th- throughout our time. Um, so that's kind of the direction we're going. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk to everybody next week. Well, we're going we're gonna to really get into Sweet Chuck and I's philosophy on player development. And uh, I think that's something that will be really interesting. 
Remember, Seb, you're going to talk about the um, yeah, the, the rule change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every week we'd like to discuss, you know, either either Mike or I's, um, you know, there's, what we'd like to see changed in our game. Mm-hmm. And the, the one thing this week I was thinking about, Sweet Chuck, and, and we'll do it for everything, but for this week I, I'm, I'm looking at the NBA mm-hmm. and the one rule that I'd like to see changed, and I think they're going to do it, is – the take foul, mm-hmm. okay. The take foul, like the guy's dribbling up the court, and sometimes you barely touch the guy and immediately raise up your hand, mm-hmm. like I fouled him. You know, the guy's on, a, and it usually happens when there's a fast break. But I don't like the take foul. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think there's something that's that's not pure about it. I know it's a big thing in Europe, and I imagine that's where it, it kind of creeped into the NBA was because it was happening so much in Europe. But what are your thoughts on that? I'd like to well, see him change the take foul. Well, actually, in Europe, they don't have it. Oh, they don't? Okay. They don't have it. They're big against it. And you watch that. And watch maybe, the maybe it's just all the European guys were doing it is why I thought it came from maybe, Europe. Maybe, maybe so. But, yeah, they it's like a technical foul or whatever, you know, if you if you do it in Good. Europe. Like, yeah, it's – Good. <clears throat> you, can't, you can't do it in college. I, I agree. Like, I just think it messes with the rhythm of the game mm-hmm. and – you know, look, I mean, if you're going to give up a fast break, you're going to give up a fast break. But I will tell you this. We complain about it. But if you're on the other end of it and you want to take the foul versus sure. letting up the two, yeah, it depends on the situation, right? But yeah. I, don't, yeah, I, I just, I I just don't think like aesthetically it. I don't like it. Yeah. From, you know, especially I love, I, from a fan standpoint, especially, I, you know, if you're a fan, I don't think, I don't think you like to see that. But anyway, that's our uh, – that's our change for the week that I'd like to see. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree. I, I'm not a fan, and I think that, you know, I'm a big fan of FIBA basketball, EuroLeague, and, and oh, Olympic yeah. basketball. And, and that's and they don't it, see it. You know? Yeah, and that's that's something that we will we will talk a lot about moving forward. Is you know European basketball, European coaches, trends that we see in Europe. In Europe, so, and I know with with your uh, with your time around Luca. That, that you'll be able to, you know, give a really valuable insight on that. Sure. Yeah. That'll be cool. That'll be real cool. Okay. I, get, I, think, uh, I think we're good for episode one. So we checked. Did the Titanic sink on the maiden uh, voyage? I, I would say the violin guys are up to here playing the violin. <laughs> but they're, it's still getting there. It's still getting there. So we'll see. Okay. We'll, we'll talk to everybody next week. And thanks for tuning in to Caught in the Net. Appreciate you. Thank you.